I've been praying with people ever since I was a young man, and so many, many times, many times, people have asked me, said, would you pray with me that I would know and understand the will of God, that I would have the courage to do the will of God? And Jesus' life was centered completely upon doing the will of the Lord. He wasn't satisfied. Now, this, this is important. He wasn't satisfied with the fruitless religious works of the priest and the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, he had a lot of harsh things to say to people like myself in ministry that were not bearing any fruit. And they knew the word, but the word did not have any impact upon their daily decisions. They may have had rituals that they observed. They may have had laws that they observed. And they looked at other people and judged them by whether or not they kept those laws, but the spirit of the law was not within them. And so religious people had a very difficult time figuring out what to do with Jesus. And I find even today that people who are very religious, it doesn't matter if they, they're religious as Christians, doesn't matter if they're religious as, as somebody of another faith, but when I share with them what a passionate follower of Uh, of Jesus Christ's passion is to reach lost people as well, they oftentimes don't understand and don't get it because they're not out to make converts. I had a friend of mine tell me, he said, you know, I, I don't think anybody should try to make converts. And I said, well, you know, I disagree with that. And not that I'm trying to make a convert, but that I am responsible to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a part of my faith. And of course, my friend found that offensive that Jesus would even teach us to share our faith and to share the good news with other people. Now, he hasn't stopped being my friend, and he's on a journey, and and we're on a journey together in our relationship, but it just is beyond him that he could be lost. I took a man to church uh, in another state. I was on vacation, and I invited him to go to church with me, someone I knew, someone I thought a lot of, and he went to church with me, and after the service, the pastor had preached a powerful message, a wonderful message, and after church, he was so insulted because he said, how dare that man to refer to me as lost or refer to me as a sinner? And so I think it's important that you and I have a good understanding of what Jesus meant. Jesus once told a parable. He told a parable about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. You're familiar with those stories. A lost sheep, a lost lost coin, and a lost parable. And in that parable, the the shepherd would go out, he'd lead the 99 sheep to go after the one sheep and find it and bring it back home. The woman who lost the coin, she, she went through her house from top to bottom until she found that coin. And she told her friends, rejoice with me. And then, of course, the parable of the lost son, or maybe you know it as the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son actually was of a, of a, of a child, a son that had strayed away, from the Lord, strayed away from his family. And it was a story of how we strayed away from the Lord. And it was the story of how the father kept looking until the son was restored to him. And there was great rejoicing and a great party. You see, Jesus refers to people as lost. 
There was a lost sheep. There was a lost coin. There was a lost son. The second thing that you need to see in those stories that Jesus told is that the shepherd searched for the sheep. The woman searched for the coin. The father looked for the son every single day. And people that were saved were said to be found. The lost sheep was found. The lost coin was found. The lost son had been restored to home. And so I think that's kind of an important concept to get because sometimes as Christian people, uh, we're not used to thinking in that nature. And it was a friend of mine years ago who was a counselor who actually helped me to see that, that really when we talk about a saved individual in the Christian faith, we're talking about someone that was found. The sheep was found, the coin was found, so to speak. And so my prayer tonight is, is that God will use this message to drive home to our hearts what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. What it means to be lost and what it means to be found. You might want to write that out to the side of your notes tonight. What it means to be lost and what it means to be found. Well, let's go to one more passage of Scripture I'd like to read to you tonight. And the Bible says this, that once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now, that's important to notice here because on Sunday, we talked about desire. And this coming Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about desire again. This is following the sinful nature's desires. We want to follow the desires that God gives us as believers. The scripture goes on to say, but by our very nature then, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 through 5. I'd encourage you to just commit those words to heart and think about them and join me in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for the message that we're going to look at tonight. Give us a better understanding of what it means to be lost and found and what you meant, Jesus, when you talked about a lost person. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, as we get started this evening, I think it's so important that if Jesus said this is what he was about, and then later Jesus would say he was sending us out to seek the lost, then we need to really make this a focus of our attention. People who make prosperity or healing or the gifts of the Spirit, the, or the fruit of the Spirit or prophecy or anything like that, they make that the focus of their whole lives. They've missed what the gifts of the Spirit are all about. They've missed what prophecy is all about. He that really understands prophecy, the Bible says, purifies himself. And part of purifying ourselves is having the same desire that Christ had, and that was to please the Father, and that was by seeking those who were lost and leading them to Christ. So first of all, a lost person is spiritually dead. 
In other words, they're not alive to the quickening of the Holy Spirit. They're not alive to the, to the promptings of God. Now, I didn't say that a lost person wasn't spiritual because spirituality is big business in the world today, not just in America, but in Europe and in Asia and Africa and South America. Spirituality is big business, but spiritually dead because they do not know Christ. Verse 5 of the passage we read tonight said that we were dead because of our sins. We were born in sin, and sin deadens us to who God is. Now, I think one of the important things to understand is is not only that are we dead because of sin, but when we're in sin, we're constantly working. We're constantly working. One of the reasons spirituality is such a big business and it can sell is people are looking for peace. People are looking for salvation. And many, because they're blinded by the enemy, many are are blind to the gospel, and it's a diabolical scheme of the enemy to keep them blinded. And so they're working for peace, they're working for wholeness, they're working for fulfillment, they're working for purpose and pleasure. Many are even working for power. And you know, when you work, you get paid a wage. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. And many people that I have known who've come to the end of their lives exhausted but having rejected Christ, and I'm thinking of a, of a man right now having rejected Christ and not being willing to give himself to Christ, working so hard, hoping to be able to do it on his own and died without the Lord but died in misery. So a, a lost person is spiritually dead. But secondly, a lost person is spiritually enslaved. In other words, they don't realize it, but they are a slave. Back in the days when Becky and I used to take students on street ministry or we'd take them overseas on AIM trips, we had these little, these human dramas that we did, and up above would be this puppet master, and then he would be working these strings with these puppets on a string, and they didn't realize they were slaves until someone shared the gospel of Jesus and clipped the strings, and they suddenly they were free, and the puppet master no longer had any authority over them. Look again. Let's look at the first two verses of the chapter we read tonight, <clears throat> part of the chapter we read tonight in Ephesians. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Underline that in your outline. Obeying the devil. Obeying the devil. Underline that. He is the spirit. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So just a few things I'd like you to see here tonight. First of all, people are enslaved by the spirit of the age. They're enslaved by the culture of the age. They're enslaved by the changing mores of the age. They're enslaved by what people think in this age. They're captive to those social systems. And we see recently the phenomenal change in American culture and in Western culture and where people are all trying to, to gravitate to a truth that is contrary to the Scriptures, which is no truth at all. But it's pop culture that has is, that is affected how parents are raising their children. It's affected how parents are teaching their children about their identity. 
even to the point that boys and girls and teenagers are being taught by doctors and nurses and businesses and culture, you know, you are not a boy or a girl, and yet they are a boy or a girl. They are a man or a woman. It's what you feel, and feelings change, but decisions are made in the midst of those feelings that enslave people. And when I listen to some of the talk show hosts and I don't listen to a, a lot of television, but sometimes I'll go on and I'll just scan real quickly on YouTube what is, what's being talked about. And I listen to all these people who, who are ignorant when it comes to the Word of the Lord, and they're ignorant when it comes to the basic psychology, but because they're, uh, 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 they're popular on YouTube, or they're popular in the entertainment industry, or there's some uh, doctor of psychiatry or psychology that has rejected biblical truth and says the Bible is not true, then they're able to persuade people, and they become enslaved by the spirit of the age. And friends, i got to tell you something. Those that are enslaved are dominated. Those that are enslaved are working for someone else. The second thing is they're enslaved by the power of Satan. And, you know, I, I don't often deal with this a whole lot because I think people can take this to extremes. But beloved, hear me tonight. There really is a real devil. There are demonic powers and forces of hell. There is a diabolical, unseen spiritual world that influences the worldly culture around us. Don't you think for one moment that the devil is not rejoicing and exercising a lot of influence into some of the popular cultural things being taught today. As a matter of fact, it makes him angry when people like me and people like you who hold the biblical truth refuse to be held captive by that and refuse to teach that. The third thing is enslaved by a spirit of rebellion. This spirit of rebellion that has happened in our world today, it corrupts us within. We don't want to be submitted to anybody. We will, everyone wants to be their own God. If it feels right to you, then do it. And friends, if everybody did what they felt right, there would be a lot of hurting people in the world. I have had to pick up the pieces with so many families where a wife did what she felt right, or a husband did what she felt right, or a teenager did what they felt was right, irregardless of what anybody else experienced in that family. I've, I've had that to happen where I've been called to mediate in business issues and church issues. Friends, hear me tonight. This spirit of rebellion, we saw it on the streets of our cities last year where buildings were being burned and cars were being burned. We saw it when those people bar just barreled through the Capitol Police and people died and they ran through, you know, all decorum and, dis and, and manners of disorder. Decorum went out the window and disorder came in. That was not pleasing to God and that was not what we need in our nation. It's a spirit of rebellion. You know, there's an old story about a little girl who kicked her brother in the shin and then pulled his hair and her mother saw it, and she came up to her, and we'll call her Sally. She says, Sally, why did you kick Tommy? Why did you let the devil influence you to kick Tommy in the shin? And the little girl looked at her mom and says, well, he may have influenced me to kick him in the shin, but it was my idea to pull his hair. In other words, she was saying that there's this spirit of rebellion. I want to hurt somebody. I wanted to hurt my brother. And the enemy may influence, but we don't have to say yes or no to that. And then finally, we're enslaved by our own desires. 
that was what I was referring when I asked you to stop and underline that while ago, that our passionate, sinful desires, if we give in to those that we are enslaved without. So there is, I want you to get this, there is domination from within by our own sinful desires. There's domination from without, and that's the cultural world that we live in. And then there's domination from above. Uh, when people are lost in their sins, lost in their trespasses of sin, as the devil comes against them. So within, without, and above. You know, just remember that. That's what's happening in people's life. Now, the third thing I want you to see, and this is why Jesus came, is a lost person is subject to the very anger of God. Subject to the anger of God. And I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit here, so write rapidly with me tonight. You know, sin has its own judgment. Let me just try to illustrate it this way. When a person lives in sin, that person's sin brings judgment upon them. For instance, if you abuse alcohol and get addicted to alcohol, then you're going to find your life driven by a craving and a need for alcohol. We talked about this a little bit Sunday morning when we talked about cravings. And we talked about how undisciplined cravings can bring such bondage into our lives. Well, there's judgment on that. But, beloved, one of the things we need to remind ourselves of, that the wrath of God or the anger of God, not losing his temper, but the anger of God against all manner of sin and unrighteousness. Remember how God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden after just eating fruit? because of their disobedience, and then we mock the sins of murder, the sins of lust, the sins of adultery, the sins of homosexuality. We mock all of that today as though it's nothing serious. There is going to be judgment again about that. And so it's not just the judgment that your sin brings in your life, but when a person dies without Christ, it's a fearsome and it's an awesome thing. Listen to these verses of Scripture. This is from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And then Paul's writing in Romans chapter 2, and he talks about people who refuse to turn from their sins. Look at this. Because you are stubborn... And refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Now stop just for a moment. Notice what he says. Because you refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up. A lost person, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is storing up terrible punishment for themselves. What's to be done? There's only one thing to be done. And as if to drive the point home further, Paul goes on to say, for, listen now, for a day of anger is coming when God's judgment will be revealed. What's to be done? The only thing that can be done is to have trust and faith in what Christ has done in absorbing all of God's anger against sin upon himself at Calvary. And we'll talk about that in just a moment as we get ready to close. Listen, it's very important that you get what I'm going to say. The only people God can save are lost people. 
The only people God can save are people who are humble enough to admit they're lost. The only people God can save are lost people who are humble enough to recognize that they are sinners and separated from God. That's what happened in my life in a very biblical way. When I really came to terms, not with religion, not with being a religious person or being a good person, but what the Bible taught about being lost and then recognizing that I was a sinner and that it was not only the fact of my sins, it was the fact that I lived in sin and rejoiced in sin and, and actually had this sense about me that I felt like I could do it on my own. And then coming to the realization that all of this life that I was living to try and have for myself without God was getting me nowhere, and then humbling myself to say, Lord, it's the path every person has to take. If we see ourselves as God sees us, then we will humble ourselves before the Lord. But as long as we're proud, as long as we're stubborn, as long as we say we know better, we will never see ourselves as God sees us. And once Years and years ago, long before I married Becky, I asked the Lord, I said, would you just let me have a glimpse of hell? That's a prayer I'll never pray again because it's a memory I'll never forget. And dear ones tonight, understand this. The most important decision you can make is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For you see, the good news is everyone can be saved. There's not a single person that draws a breath that cannot be saved. God loves lost people. I fervently disagree with those who say that only a select few can be saved and God has damned everybody else. That is not what I read in the Scripture. Let's look at Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Friends, doesn't that just make you want to lift your hands and worship? You see, what we celebrate says a lot about us. Who you celebrate says a lot about you. And when you read in the Bible that there is more rejoicing over one sinner coming home if there's more rejoicing among the angels in heaven, if there's rejoicing by God, if Jesus told the story of the shepherd rejoicing because he found the lost sheep, the woman rejoicing because she found the lost coin, the, the father rejoicing because the lost son had returned home, how much more should you and I rejoice over those who have given their heart to Jesus? When a person gives their hearts to Christ, friends, that's a time for us to celebrate and rejoice in the Lord. You know, I was kind of thinking about this and meditating on this. You know, I have lost things. I'm notorious for losing keys. I'm notorious for misplacing my wallet. You know, I, thankfully, my phone will ring a tone if I've misplaced it, uh, and I can find it pretty easily. But, you know, we, we lost our dog one time, and we looked all over for it until we finally found that dog. We were rejoicing. We were so happy when we finally found that dog. If I can rejoice over finding a dog, if I can rejoice over finding keys or finding a wallet, and if I will drive over the neighborhood and knock on neighbors' houses looking for a dog, and if I will take the house apart looking for keys or a wallet, then how much more should I focus upon what Jesus said 
that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save lost people. How much more should that be the passion and the focus of my heart since he has called us to go and do the same, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, which means we can't just do it here in the church, but we've got to go where lost people are at. Jesus went to where Zacchaeus was. Jesus went to where Matthew was. Jesus went to where the woman called in adultery was. Jesus met people where they were at. Don't be afraid to go out and look for lost people and to find them. And go out and look for them the same way you would look for a lost wallet, a lost phone, or a lost pet. But go out with all of your energy and all of your passion and all of your excitement. Because here's, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus didn't send, send Zacchaeus a message and say, Zacchaeus, meet me here. Jesus didn't send Matthew a message and say, meet me at church. Jesus didn't send the woman called in adultery and say, if you'll meet me for counseling. Jesus went to where they were at. And I believe with all of my heart that that's what God is calling us to do. Friends, I'm not a fisherman. I've been fishing, but I know this, fish don't jump in the boat. I know this, seeds don't plant themselves. And I know this, friends, if we're going to be fishers of men and women, if we're going to plant the seeds of the gospel the way we're called to, we're going to have to go where they're at, and we're going to have to plant the seed, build the relationship, and always remember what the Lord said in Isaiah 45 and verse 22. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God, and there is no other. In closing tonight, why did Jesus come and seek to, to seek and save lost people? Because the Father loved us. The Father, that's it. I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus took God's wrath again. Remember we read about that, the day of wrath? We read about the wrath that comes with sin, the anger. Jesus took all of that upon himself. He took it full on for every single person. And when he died for our sins, what Adam and Eve had failed in Christ accomplished for all of us. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us power and empower us to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful you joined me tonight, and I'd like to pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving lost people. Thank you for going and seeking and saving people like myself, like my friends, like the people I pastor, Lord. And I ask you tonight for that anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks yokes and removes bondages. I'm asking for that anointing of the Holy Spirit that will empower us to build relationships and to go where lost people are at and plant the seed in their life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You know, just one more reminder. I know it's COVID right now, and soon I hope this is all going to be over with. But every time you share our messages or you share to watch the live stream with me, whenever you do that, you're taking the gospel to where people are at. Whether they listen or not, that's up to them. But they know you, they trust you, and when you share, you're helping get the gospel to them. So, Let's be sure that every opportunity we can until we're able to go back to those spots like Starbucks or wherever it was that you met your lost friends, that we were able to take the gospel to them.
because that which was lost can be found. God bless you. Good night.